Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, John Nielsen on what the Bible has to say about angels, who they are, and what they do. Our understanding of angels should actually increase our reverence and our love for God when we consider these wonderful spiritual beings that He's created to accomplish His purposes, to serve as messengers, to encourage His people, and to serve God alongside men and women of God. John Nielsen, next. Although the Bible doesn't give us detailed descriptions of the origins and appearance of angels, we can glean truths and principles from Scripture that teach us about these amazing beings. My guest is Dr. John Nielsen, pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church of Wheaton, Illinois, and author of Knowing God's Truth. We are discussing his article, What Are Angels and How Should Christians Think About Them? which was excerpted from the book. Pastor Nielsen, while the Bible definitely features accounts of angels, I'm wondering where you think most believers and people in general get their ideas of angels from. Yeah, I mean, I would I would start by saying I think a lot of Christians don't think about angels very often. And, and when they do, I, I would say, at least in my experience as a pastor, a lot of their ideas are more culturally influenced than biblically influenced. And there can be a conflation of uh, popular ideas, popular uh, imaginations, I would call them, about angels, rather than really rooting our understanding of, of angelic beings in Scripture, what the Bible teaches us. And, and just, uh, obviously, we're going to focus in on the scriptural teaching, but what is some of that conflation or combination of cultural and, and uh, biblical ideas of angels that you think people might kind of subscribe to? Yeah, there are a few. Uh, one, I would say, w- would be the idea that uh, humans and angels are kind of the same thing at the end of time. So you'll hear people talk about a loved one who dies, for example, and they'll say, well, she, she's now an angel and she's watching over me. And that's, a, that's actually an unbiblical conflation. Of, um, so, so human beings, when we die and then... Uh, uh, believers, when they're resurrected, won't become angels. We're something different. Uh, and actually, it's Jesus, uh, God who became man, took on flesh, who is the first fruits of what we will become. And that is something in, in resurrection glory that, that the angels will never have. It, we're, we're different creations, different beings. Um, the, the other idea would just be that, um, that angels are uh, to be prayed to, to be worshipped, to be revered. And uh, I can talk in a moment about one verse that is kind of an anchor verse in Scripture for refuting that idea. Uh, oh, go ahead. Maybe, maybe even right now, since you just raised it, what, what would uh, what would refute that? Yeah, there's just it's a beautiful verse right at the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, uh, starting in verse eight. And John gets to the end of his vision. You know, the the vision that he's given on the island of Patmos, and he, he writes, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. And then here's really the key verse for understanding what angels are. I am a fellow servant with you 
and your brothers the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Yeah, so, so, so the angel tells John, worship God. In other words, he puts a stop to the idea that John would worship him, an angel, and, and rightly identifies, I, I'm a fellow servant of the Most High God. You don't, you don't worship me. We serve God, essentially, alongside each other. Mm. Well, I, I'm wondering, to what extent should angels, do you believe, uh, be of interest to Christians? Uh, sh- should this be in interest, or is it uh, something that is, you know, not that important? Yeah, I, I think they should be of interest as long as we think of them biblically, and, and I would say, in a way that makes us do exactly what the angel told John to do in Revelation 22, and that is turn our worship toward God. Um, I, I, there's certainly a danger with angels, as with probably other aspects of the spiritual realm, where uh, a danger of becoming obsessed with them, to, to the exclusion of worshiping God, praying to God, adoring our God. Uh, but I would say, biblically, and this is what I tried to argue in the article, um, our, our understanding of angels should actually increase our reverence and our love for God when we consider these wonderful spiritual beings that he's created to accomplish his purposes, to serve as messengers, to encourage his people, and to serve God alongside men and women of God. Well, this is probably, uh, of course, an obvious question, but what are the origins of angels? I mean, wh- where do they come from? They were, they were created beings— uh, created before humanity at some point as servants of God. Uh, we also, I think, can surmise from different texts that Satan and, the, and uh, the, the, the spiritual beings we now call demons are fallen angels. They, are, they, they were originally angels, servants of God, who at some point in history, we don't know when, we don't know exactly how, but rebelled against the rule of God and turned away from him and fell. Uh, into into darkness and rebellion and sin and hatred of God and his people and his plan. Um, so the origin of angels is that they're created beings, they're spiritual beings, they are not fleshly beings that that are born and die. They continue in a spiritual form. And, and then we see that split. We see the angels who remain in the service of God and Satan and the demons that turn against God and his people and see them continuing to to... Uh, have an influence and impact on our world today, and and they're there. If we take the Rev- book of Revelation seriously, they are there, uh, even in the the final drama leading up to the final judgment and and the new heaven and new earth. Well, my guest today on yeah. His People is uh, Doctor no John Nielsen, and he's senior pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church of Wheaton. We're talking about his a piece that was posted at Crossway Books site. What are angels, and how should Christians think about them? It's really excerpted from his book, Knowing God's Truth, an Introduction to Systematic Theology. So uh, it, it, just in terms of appearances, uh, Pastor Nielsen, I mean, obviously, as you say, there's the, the kind of the cultural idea uh, that they kind of look like people with wings, and I mean, perhaps there's some biblical uh, validation for that, but what, what does Scripture teach they look like? Uh, or, or can we, or does it? Yeah, I, I don't know that it does, other than I, I do think we see th- th- that that angels, as they're sent by God, certainly have the ability to appear in different forms. Um, there, there are certainly times in Scripture when the appearance of an angel terrifies mm. people. I mean, that you mentioned earlier Zechariah. When Zechariah is in the temple, he's, he's offering incense as part of his priestly duties, and the angel Gabriel appears to him. He is terrified. Uh, at the appearance of the angel Gabriel. So 
uh, certainly there's there's some kind of shock effect that angels can have, and that and and yet you also see other times in Scripture, like for example, um, uh, Lot when he entertains the angelic visitors in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, or near Sodom and Gomorrah, he does not recognize them to be a- angelic visitors and just sees them as as men who've come to visit the town. So, so I, I I would say the best the best conclusion we can come to biblically is that they can take on different forms and appearances um, in in accordance with the the task that God has sent them to perform. And why, uh, at least in some cases. Is the response fear, and they, you know they they right away say don't don't be afraid. Uh, certainly to Mary, and then I think to to Zachariah as well. Yeah, I think the response of fear comes because they are glorious beings. They they uh, you see this in Revelation four and five. They dwell in close proximity to the throne of God. There there are angels singing the praises of God continually in the throne room of heaven. And so certainly some of the, the, the blazing hot holiness and glory of God is reflected through these angelic beings. Obviously not all of it. They, they are not God. But, but some of God's glory and his holiness is reflected through them. And when a, when a sinful human being is witness to that, the, the response is terror. Um, and, and, you know, you see it in Isaiah 6. Um, Isaiah's response when he's confronted with the holiness of God, he falls on his face, he's undone, he cries out, woe is me, for I am a man of uh, unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And I think that's a, you're, when, when people see angels in their glory, they are getting a glimpse of the glory and holiness of God. And in terms of uh, their individuality, I mean, names, only two of them are named actually named specifically in scripture is that right that's right as far as I, as far as i can remember we have gabriel who makes a couple different visits uh there's the angel michael um but but other than that generally unnamed they, they are sometimes uh numbered so you'll you'll hear uh like the story with elisha and and his servant when he looks out and sees the the vast army of angels um, Jesus talks about a certain amount of legions of angels that would be at his service with with simply a word. Um, there's an unnamed angel who binds Satan in, in right at the end of Revelation, throws him into the pit. Um, so certainly there's individuality. I believe there are distinctive angels. Um, but you're right, only two of them, as far as we know, are named in Scripture. And in terms of what, what they do uh, in Scripture, why they were created, I mean, in your, your piece, What Are Angels and How Should Christians Think About Them?, you, you list a number of their, well, for lack of a better term, their, their duties or their, uh, their acts of service to God. Yeah, yeah, and there's, there's more than I listed in that article, but I, I know that I mentioned they, they are worshipers. Uh, we see that I mentioned Revelation four and five. They they are created to bring glory to God, to magnify His name. They're um, they are they are servants of God and servants of God's people. Uh, so we we see at different times angels refreshing and encouraging God's people in different ways. Uh, they're sent to perform duties. Um, they're, they're sent to perform tasks that are in line with God's sovereign providential purposes in the world. We see, um, you see that several times in the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament. 
Um, so, so servants, worshipers, um, and then, and then I, I think it's, it's good to remember there, there is a role of protection. There is a role of deliverance that sometimes God will call upon angels to perform. You think of, uh, Peter being, being brought out, mm -hmm. uh, from prison. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, ultimately they are at the, they serve at the pleasure of the almighty God and often, uh, of course, for his glory, but also for the good of his people. And, and then I, I suppose it's fair to say, it seems like you may have pointed this out, that one thing we do share in common with angels is we are servants of God, as are they. Yes, that's right. We're servants of God. They are servants of God. That's, that's what the, the angel says to John when he attempts to worship him in Revelation 22. And, and I believe they are probably in ways that we don't fully understand they are also not only fellow servants, they are fellow worshipers. Uh, you know, there's that mysterious line that Paul says where he, he, he's actually talking about head coverings, but he, he, says, he says, because of the angels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and there's the implication that there is, there is, it seems, an angelic presence even with God's people in corporate worship. And so we are in that moment in corporate worship, joining our voices to a heavenly song that is perpetually continuing. And so to the question, to what extent are they among us, you're saying that uh, Scripture would indicate that to some extent they are among us. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think there is a, an angelic presence with God's people. Um, of, of course, you know, there's the 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 line that makes us all curious that some uh, there's a command of hospitality mm -hmm. and, and, and we're told that uh, in hospitality, some have entertained angels unaware. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think again, there's mystery here and there's a danger of becoming too obsessed with, Oh, what is What does angelic presence look like? Could this person be an angel? Mm -hmm. um, but certainly the Bible has a category for that. So, I mean, some have taken pro and con on that particular verse, Hebrews 13.2, uh, not forgetting to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Not, not only the angelic aspect, but just the prompting to remember hospitality to strangers in a general sense. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's part of the motivation just to be hospitable to everyone, to anyone who comes in your, in your path. Um, but the reminder that it, it could be an angelic visitor. And I, and I do think there's a reference there to past Old Testament stories, like the, like the story of Lot, I've example, uh, that I mentioned earlier. And in terms of where angels live, I mean, obviously anybody would say, well, in heaven with God. But I mean, that's obviously the case, is there, that, that is ultimately where they dwell. Yes, they dwell in heaven in the presence of God, although I, I think the fact that they don't possess physical flesh— implies that there I think we can understand them having less limitations than human beings do in terms of being able to to go to and from the earth and accomplish God's purposes and do his bidding. So again, we we don't know quite how that works. But angels evidently have the capacity to be sent by God to accomplish his purposes on earth and then return and, and be in the presence of God, serving Him and praising Him and worshiping Him. And they are sinless. Yes, yeah, that's a really good, good point, is, is angels um, are, do not have—the the angels that are in the service of God now do not have a sinful nature. They, they are sinless. 
they are not in need of redemption, so they, they don't need to repent and put their faith in Jesus and trust his finished work on the cross. Um, and yet, as worshipers of God, they celebrate the redeeming work of God. So uh, Peter talks about the angels um, longing to look uh, in, in, into the things of God and the way he would accomplish redemption. And I think I've mentioned this already a couple of times, but Revelation 5, the new song that is sung by the angelic elders around the throne of God is a song of praise to the lamb who was slain. And so even though the, the, the work of redemption isn't applied particularly to angels, they celebrate the work of God's redemption through Jesus on behalf of his people, which I think is a beautiful, beautiful thing to remember. Mm-hmm. And in terms of them being sinless, we do have the account in Revelation chapter 12 of a percentage of them rebelling against, well, certainly against God. It says the devil and his angels fought against Michael and his angels. How are we to understand that, that they that they had the, the capacity to do that, yeah. apparently? Yep, that, and that, yeah, you're right. Re- Revelation 12, verse 9, the the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, now, uh, of course, we have to acknowledge there was a point when a group of angels made that fall. They were thrown down. They rebelled against God. I think we are meant to assume that that throwing down was a final climactic act. Mm. And that, um, I guess for lack of a better way of saying it, the, the sides are drawn. You know, the, um, there, there is no possibility of, of the angels who are serving God in his presence today participating in that fall and, and, and going and joining the side of Satan. There was, there's a sense in which that event has happened. It is fixed. It's final. Um, and, and I think the rest of the Bible would assume that that, that is the case. And as you mentioned earlier, it's extremely fair to assume, or even maybe it's obvious, that the angels that were thrown down to the earth are now the demons that are described in Scripture, particularly in the New Testament and Jesus' ministry. That's right, yeah. And, and you know, it goes on to, to talk about, at the end of uh, Revelation 12, um, the, the intent of the, the dragon to make war on, on the offspring of the the woman, and so we do see this. We, we're meant to understand the raging of Satan and his demons until the day of final judgment. They are opposed to God. They hate Christ. They hate the gospel. They hate the church. And and there will be a climactic day of judgment. There will be a final throwing into the lake of fire. But until then, they rage against God and His people and His purposes. And in Revelation chapter 12, that uh, chapter that uh, tells of the battle between Michael and his angels and the devil and his angels, at verse 4 it says, his tail, that is the, the dragon's tail or Satan's tail, drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Are we then to understand that a third of the original number of angels were cast out and so two-thirds were not? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and, and, you know, s- some of those numbers, mm. it can be hard to figure out how literally to take those numbers. But yeah, I think that's probably been the most common interpretation throughout biblical history is that 
is that Satan took approximately one third of the angelic host with him to become his, his demonic servants. So that's encouraging as well. Somebody pointed out to me that that means that uh, the, the, the demons are outnumbered two to one by God's angels. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That, and that's, that's a good reminder. And, 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 you know, the other good reminder, and I mentioned this before, what, we, it is good to remember that Satan and his demons are, are powerful. We're, we're not meant to take them lightly. Mm-hmm. Satan is, is very real and very vicious. And yet, when the time comes for Satan to be bound and thrown away, it's an unnamed angel who mm. does that. So it, we're, we are not meant to see Satan and God as kind of equal and opposite enemy, you know, the yin and the yang. Um, Satan is a created being. God is infinitely more powerful than Satan. And so it, it is good to remember that his days are numbered, and it, it won't even be a challenge for God to put him down when the time has come. How interested, the Scripture does give some insight into this, are the angels in what we are doing as believers in Jesus, what we are doing, uh, what what the gospel represents, you know, when we repent, all of that? I think they are, and, um, you know, the place where you see that is that beautiful chapter of the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 15, and, and Jesus makes reference. I'm just turning to it because I actually want to read it. Mm-hmm. Jesus says, uh, he, the first parable, the parable of the lost sheep, uh, the, the, he calls together his friends and neighbors, this shepherd who's, who's found his sheep, and he says, rejoice with me, I found my sheep that was lost. And then Jesus says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then in the second parable, the parable of the lost coin, He adds, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Mm -hmm. And what a beautiful, and that's from the words of Jesus describing the rejoicing in heaven by the angels when a sinner repents and turns to Christ. So they they are cheering on the work of the gospel and praising God when when sinners turn in faith to Christ. I'd like to ask you uh, about Matthew 18.10. You know where I'm going here, I'm sure, where Jesus says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Admittedly, it does not say specifically each Christian has a guardian angel, but it's kind of easy to see how from that that one verse, and and then then when Peter... Uh, appears as you mentioned earlier in a different context, but was had been uh, freed by the angel, and they said, and when he was knocking, uh, the response was, "Oh, it's his angel," uh, kind right. of giving a little credence. So I'm wondering if you could address that idea of the guardian angel for the each believer. Angel. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm somewhat agnostic on that particular question. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly there. Yeah. Uh, you see it, in, you know, Matthew 18:10, and. I don't think it's a problematic or heretical conclusion to draw that perhaps there are there are specific angels kind of assigned to specific children of God, um, uh, watching watching over them, um, serving God and 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 uh, serving His purposes in their lives. I I don't think that's problematic. I think it's problematic if it becomes, and I've used this word before, an obsession. Mm. And certainly if it becomes anything resembling worship. So yeah. I'm praying to my guardian angel or I, 
I've got a symbol of my guardian angel. I, you know, that, that to me is, is, is beginning to tread on dangerous ground. And, and I think idolatrous ground, mm. uh, we are meant to worship God. We are meant to pray to the father, uh, by the spirit in the name of the son. And if there are angels assigned to each of us individually, that's something that should make us praise God. Uh, but I don't think it's something that the Bible has explicitly made clear. Mm. Okay, I appreciate that. And our time is going very quickly, and I know I have to let you go in just a minute, but I did want to ask you at least uh, uh, one or two more questions. And this one from Matthew 22, uh, verse 30, where Jesus is answering uh, the Sadducees' question about the resurrection, where he says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. And as you've explained, and we understand from the Scripture, that that uh, human beings and angels are not of the same sort. They they are very different. And yet, in what sense, then, are, are believers in the resurrection like angels of God in heaven? Yeah, I think they are like angels in that in that context. He's saying they are like angels in that they are they're not engaged in in marriage or, or sexual intimacy. Mm. Um, so so the angels are a host of of God who are in His service. They're occupied with worship and praise and obedience to Him. In like manner, we in the resurrection will be the bride of Christ. So we're not marrying each other. Uh, everything that was that is reflected and hinted at in human marriage is now fulfilled um, in our relationship to Christ as His bride. So, so I, I think it's talking specifically about marriage there, rather mm. than we're going to be exactly like the angels in every way. My guest is yeah. uh, Dr. John Nielsen, Senior Pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church of Wheaton, and we're talking about what are angels and how should Christians think about them. You can read that at crossway.org, and it uh, really is excerpted from a chapter in his book, Knowing God's Truth, and Introduction to Systematic Theology. What are some major misconceptions about angels? If we haven't talked about them, would you want to bring up uh, before we... Uh, wrap up. Yeah, I, I think I think we've covered most of them. Um, I, I think that they're worth that they're deserving of worship or prayer. That's a misconception that we turn into angels when we die. That's a misconception. Um, some sometimes I think there can be, you know, this is maybe more from old cartoons, but you, you have the idea of an angel an angel on one shoulder and a demon on the other. Yep. Um, and, and almost a comical mm -hmm. portrayal of angels. You know, you have good old Clarence and it's a wonderful life. Right. Um, I think it is good to remember that they are they are serious beings, they are glorious, they are holy. Um, and and yet they are servants of God, not to be worshipped, not to be revered. Um, but they, in every instance, we see them showing up in Scripture. They are doing the bidding of God, and they are turning the faces of God's, of God's people toward God, away from themselves. Mm. Well, any final thoughts to leave us about these uh, amazing beings in Scripture, the angels? Yeah, I think the final thoughts would be, let please, I would say to the people of God, allow God's Word to shape your understanding of angels— um, and, and, and dig deep, see what the scriptures say. Uh, and I would say allow for mystery where the scripture leaves questions unanswered. Um, there are some things that evidently we're not meant to know or understand uh, fully now. Um, but I, but then the last thing I would say, uh, it's going to be a wonderful day when we are in the presence of God singing praises to him, accompanied by the angels, these fellow servants of God. That's something to look forward to.
You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. John Nielsen, pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church of Wheaton, Illinois, and author of the book, Knowing God's Truth. We've been discussing his article, What Are Angels and How Should Christians Think About Them?, which was excerpted from the book. You can read the article at crossway.org. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Dave Jenkins on what he calls the lifetime journey of contentment. It's a skill that we have to work out. You know, Paul says to the Philippians earlier, work out your uh, Philippians to work out your faith with fear and trembling, you know, but it's God that's working in us at the same time. He's at work because salvation, Jonah 2, 9 says is of the Lord. And so know that God is at work. That's tomorrow at this same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.